Habakkuk chapter 2. I had absolutely zero intention of preaching from one of the minor prophets. However, this is where the Lord directed me for tonight's message. And I truly believe that I have something important to say to you this evening. Habakkuk chapter 2, and we'll read just three verses in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. And notice this in verse number 3, Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon his word and upon this service. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, your word says that unless you build the house, they labor in vain that build it. God, we know that without you, we can do nothing. You are the vine and we are the branches. God, we ask tonight that you would meet with us. God, I confess my inadequacy before thee this evening. But God, I ask tonight that Christ would be exalted, that he would be lifted up. Lord, you said if you be lifted up, that you would draw all men unto yourself. God, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word by your spirit. God, I pray that if there's one in the building today that does not know you as Savior, God, I pray that they would be bothered. I pray that they would be troubled. I pray that they would be disquieted, Father, and they would not rest until they know from your word that you have saved them. God, we ask that you'd stir your church tonight. God, I pray that you'd make me a blessing and an encouragement to your church this evening. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. There are many themes that are woven throughout Scripture that address the behavior of the child of God. Uh, We see this through instruction, and we also see this through example of Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. There are many commands or expectations, if you will, that are placed upon one who has been born again. The Bible makes it very clear that you and I, we are saved unto good works. Now, pertaining to themes, as students of the Bible, we know that there is one grand overarching theme throughout all Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. And that theme is Jesus Christ. In every book we see Christ. We see him as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Christ himself said, search the scriptures, for in them ye think that ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. John 5, 39. If you are here this evening and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... I would beg with you, I would plead with you that today, that you receive him. Do not wait. Do not hesitate. Life is uncertain. 
run to Christ this evening. Jesus Christ said, ye must be born again. I don't care if you were raised in church. It doesn't matter if you know every catechism, if you've been baptized, if you grew up in church. Jesus said that ye must be born again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Ye must be born again. There's no such thing as always believing. There's no such thing as always growing up in church and just being saved. There must be a time in your life when you realize the the putridness and the ugliness of your sin and that you are a sinner deserving to go to hell. And you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's not inherited. You must accept Him personally. This is the call of salvation. In the book of Proverbs we read, Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Once again, in Acts 17, verse 30, the Bible says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Listen to me. I say it with fear and trembling. If you are in the building tonight, and you do not know for certain that if today you were to die and go to heaven, take care of that today. Take care of that today. Christ is calling. That is the call of salvation. And that call goes forth to every man. After we are saved and we begin a a life journey of faith, there is another call that is placed upon our lives. After we get saved, the calling doesn't stop. In fact, it intensifies. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 the Bible says, "I therefore the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy." Notice this, of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now pertaining to this vocation, this calling if you will, if I were to ask you, what has been your experience with God after receiving him as savior? What would you say it is? What would it be? Let me simplify the question. If I asked you to fill in the blank at the end of this sentence, what, would, what word would you use? If I said, Christianity is a call to what? Based upon your experience and your reading of the word of God, what would you say Christianity is a call to? Certainly from the scriptures we learn that Christianity is a call to many things. Christianity is a call to holiness. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.16, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Christianity is a call to holiness in all manner of conversation, the Bible says. Christianity is a call to what? Christianity is a call to obedience. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. 1 Peter 1.14. What about this one? Christianity, it is a call to suffering. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus, after that, notice this, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, 
Establish, strengthen, settle you. 1 Peter 5.10 For I will show him, speaking of the Apostle Paul, great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts 9.16 Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 The Bible teaches very clearly that all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Do you know what that means? That means if you say, listen, when I'm in the grocery store, whenever I'm out and about, I don't want to witness because I don't want to offend anyone. I'm a polite person. I don't want to offend them. No, let me tell you, it's because you are ashamed of your Lord. Because the Bible says this, that all they that live godly in Christ Jesus, they shall suffer persecution of some kind. Are you willing this evening to suffer for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm absolutely amazed in an all tonight of my Savior and what he did for me. Amen. But we're not willing to die to self. You see, all of these callings, they are true. But tonight, I have one thought that I'd like to give you to take home tonight. Tonight, I'm going to fill in the blank to that sentence. And the theme of tonight's message is one, it's, it's commonly preached throughout the Bible. It's commonly preached in pulpits. It's commonly found in the Bible. And yet, it is one that is very difficult to execute. Tonight, I want to deliver a very simple message. I've entitled the message, God's Message to His People in Dark Days. And here is my declarative sentence, one that is supported throughout Scripture. Christianity, it is a call to wait. Christianity is a call to wait on the Lord. Not just a call to wait, but Christianity is a call to wait on the Lord. If you're in the building tonight and you name the name of Jesus Christ, there is a claim that has been placed on your life to cultivate an attitude of waiting and total dependence on your God. This is an attitude of waiting and trust. We look around at the world today, and in the midst of fear, in the midst of panic, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of heartache, and in the midst of strife, when the world is pulling at their hair, when they're, when they're wringing their hands, God, he commands his children to wait. He says in Habakkuk chapter 2, he says, though it tarry, wait for it. Amen. Just wait for it. I'd like to give you just a little bit of, of background uh, tonight on this uh, text. Uh, we, tonight we observe a prophet, the prophet Habakkuk of of whom we know little about personally, but we find a prophet that found himself in a time of waiting. He found himself in a time of very dark days and in a time of waiting. So I'd like to give you just a little bit of background so we can understand the significance of this passage and also arrive to the same conclusion. The book of Habakkuk it differs from the regular addresses of the prophets who ministered to Israel uh, his record of his own experience is of his soul making a, a, a complaint to God. So when you read the book of Habakkuk, you would think of maybe like the prophet Jonah, 
who actually would make his complaint before the Lord. You think of, of the book of Job. And this is in regarding to the way in which the prophet, he spoke to men. And also his, his, his way that he made arguments and questions before God. He has been labeled the questioning prophet or the doubting Thomas of the prophets. Theologians are not always so kind in their nicknames that they give to Old Testament characters, but that is what he's been nicknamed. In a nutshell, Habakkuk, he asks this question to God. He says, why would an omnipotent God allow a wicked nation to destroy a righteous nation? You see, the time of which Habakkuk prophesied, somewhere between 620 to 610 B.C., uh, students believe, they were very dark days and lurking judgment. As Habakkuk looked across the land, he saw oppression, he saw bribery, he saw that the laws were not being enforced in the courts of their nation, and wickedness prevailed. And as a result, God was stirring up a nation, the Chaldeans, to chasten his people. And Habakkuk, he looks at that, and he really has two questions for God. The first was this. He said, God, how long are you going to let this nation of people, Israel, get away with their sin? And God says, well, I'm not going to. I'm going to stir up another nation to chasten them. And then he has another question. He says, God, how are you going to use a nation that is more wicked than Israel to chasten us? And God says, well, Habakkuk, when it's all said and done, I'm going to punish them. Who were the Chaldeans? The Chaldeans, they were notorious for their cruelty. They were, the, the Bible says in, our, in, in Habakkuk, it says that their horses were swifter than leopards. It says their warriors were more fierce than wolves at dusk. I mean, these men, they were ferocious. They were, they were absolutely cruel. And Habakkuk, he questions this. And has, as Habakkuk looked around, he saw nothing but darkness in his land. And it, I can't help but think of our own nation today as we look around. When it, it seems like there's nothing but darkness in the days in which we live. My friends, we are living in very dark days. We are living in a day and age where there's corruption and bribery and cover-ups. To the extent that if we knew, I think, it would make our heads spin. We're living in a day when our laws are not being upheld. We are living in a day whenever good is called evil and evil is called good. We are living in a day and age where there is mass confusion about, about gender, about how people are pride. They are proud to be a certain way. You must remember, God destroyed a nation for that type of behavior. Amen. God destroyed a nation for their pride and their arrogancy. Men that were so wicked that whenever they were smote with blindness, it says that they wearied themselves to find the door. Instead of being humbled by the judgment of God, it says that in despite of the blindness that was stricken them, it says that they wearied themselves to find the door. That is the day and age in which we are approaching. And we see God's judgment already on this nation by the leadership that he has given us. How do we think 
that as Americans, as God's people, Gentiles, how do we think who have been grafted in God, his, his chosen people, he scattered them and dispersed them over the wickedness of their nation. What makes us think that God would not do the same to us? He certainly will. I love baseball. For a long time, I didn't watch baseball, but I have two sons now, and baseball is a great way, I think, to instill manliness into your sons through sports. I didn't really care too much about sports, but I I believe in instilling manliness into your boys, and I think sports are a great avenue for that. Amen. But I read recently in an article that the Detroit Tigers were funding gender, listen, a baseball team. It used to be, listen, it used to be in our nation that a father could go to a baseball game and buy a hot dog and have fun with his son and teach him the game of baseball. But our country is so bold now and so infiltrated with wickedness that the Detroit Tigers are promoting and funding gender transition surgery on minors. It is wicked. I think of the Texas shooting. Can you imagine if that was your child? And then on top of it all, we have just the personal problems of God's people. You think about financial problems and the stress that that causes. You think of relational problems and conflicts within a marriage. Listen to me. If you are married and you're in the building night, be committed to your spouse. There's health problems. Our church has been touched with cancer and illness and chronic uh, illness and, 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 and the stress of life. Stress can kill you. We know that. And then there's, there's possibly some discouragement with spiritual growth. Some of you are here today and you've been saved a very long time. And if you're anything like me, there's, there's things in your life that you thought, man, by, man, right now I'm just struggling in this area. But, you know, 10 years down the road from now... Christ will have completely eradicated this from my life. But you find yourself today still struggling with the same temptation, with the same, uh, with the same desire, with the same enticement. When, when we think about these things, all these things, they can, they can result in a deep and lasting depression, can't they? When you look at the condition of our nation... When you consider our loved ones and the things that go on in our church as far as health crisis and and, and so on. Are you ever like me and you ask God this, you say, God, how long? How long are you going to put up with this? God, how long are you going to tolerate this? Lord, do you see what is going on within our nation? The government, it is not... It is not fulfilling its God-given role to, to protect the innocent and uphold morality. In fact, it's, it's in your face. It's, it's fighting it against you, oh God. Don't you see this? How long will you put up with this? That's what Habakkuk was asking. Lord, I know you care, but when is there ever going to be a stop to this? There's just one thought that I'd like to give you tonight. Just one. 
And it's found in chapter 2, of verse, verse 3, it says, wait for it. I want to encourage you tonight to wait on the Lord. Amen. Wait on the Lord. I've taken our text and broken it down into three points to guide our understanding. Under this message uh, title of God's message to his people in dark days, there are three headings that I would like to preach from. The posture of waiting, the process of waiting, and the promise of waiting. What is the posture of waiting? Notice in verse 1 it says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. What is the posture of waiting? What, well, let's first discuss what it is not. It's not apathy. It's not lethargy. It's not an I don't care attitude. It's just like, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, you know. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. That's not what it is. It's not impatience. It's not taking matters into your own hands. It's not seeking avenues in which to accomplish what I think needs to be done. It's not giving way to bitterness. When you, when you are in, in, in the middle of a storm and there's a relational conflict and there's things that you wish would be different, you don't, you don't allow bitterness to set in. You don't give place to wrath and doubting. But what is it? It's alertness. Notice it says, I will stand upon my watch, and I will set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me. Waiting on the, the Lord is an alertness and an anticipation that he is going to say something to me. In the book of Job, he says, until I see him again. Job, he says, when I look to the left, when I look to the right, when I look here, when I look there, I can't find him. But he says, but an I will wait until I see him again. Has there ever been a time in your life whenever you've been diagnosed with a health issue or there's been a relational conflict or that you're looking at a country and say, Lord, I don't see you in any of all this, but I am going to wait upon thee. When is the last time that you went and you stood and you waited on the Lord? Perhaps tonight you need to get alone with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you need to go to your backyard and you need to stand before the Lord and you need to pray to him and say, God, how long? Lord, there's things going on within, within our nation. I'm worried about my children and my grandkids. How long are you going to let people get away with this? God, I, I have a health crisis. God, there, there's a relational conflict. Lord, there's a financial need. Lord, I, I've cried to you. I'm trying to serve you. Lord, how long will you meet this need? It's expectancy in prayer. It's humility. Listen, it's doing what you know to be right until the feelings come. You may find yourself in a situation and, listen, there is no other place that the devil wants to destroy than your home. The devil wants to destroy your home. He wants to get between you and your wife he wants to between, get between you and your husband. And listen, God, the, the devil and his demons, they are going to seek every avenue possible to get inside your mind, to destroy your family, to destroy your kids. But listen, it's doing what you know is right. You love your spouse because God told you to love your spouse. You, there's honor in that. There's glory in that. The devil never shows you whenever a man says, I'm going to leave my family. When a woman says, I'm going to have an affair on my husband, the devil never shows you the kids down the road that are a wreck. Amen. 
that are messed up, that end up on drugs, that end up not knowing to go, that, that do poorly in school. The devil never shows you that. The devil doesn't say you are robbing future generations. Your grandchildren are going to suffer from this. Listen, if you are married tonight, be faithful to your spouse. We find ourselves in, in different conflicts relationally. But could I encourage you tonight to enter a state of mind as Habakkuk did? Many Bible students, they believe that Habakkuk, he didn't actually stand upon a place or go to a watch. He, it was actually a state of mind. Now, he certainly could have went to a place. I wouldn't argue that. The Bible says that he did. But I'm, I'm assuming that most of you uh, don't have a tower at your house. So this really wouldn't apply to you. You could go to your roof, I suppose. But let me encourage you tonight to go to a state of mind where you are watching and you are waiting on the Lord. And in faith, look for what God is trying to say to you. Because, you see, in the midst of it all, God is trying to take you to a place, which we're going to arrive at soon. Habakkuk was being taken to a place. You see... There is a posture in waiting. It's one of humility. It's one of expecting. But then also there is a process of waiting. Now, I must confess, this is most often where we fail as God's people. It's the waiting. We may make a resolve to wait, but what happens? The waiting is a little bit longer than we thought it would be. There's a lot longer waiting. Uh, I know of a pastor, not too far, he's a retired pastor now, but the man, I don't believe he could eat for seven years. Seven years that man couldn't eat. He couldn't swallow. Do you think at times he ever got discouraged and said, Lord, how long? Seven years the man couldn't enjoy a meal. Now, from what I understand, that, that, that's coming back. But we're so quick. I, I said at the beginning of the message, I'm so amazed with our Savior tonight. What a man he was. What a man he was. We're, we're so quick to say that I would die for my Lord. And I, I hope if that time ever came, we don't know what we would do. But here's a good indicator. If you are not willing tonight to die to yourself, what makes you think that you would die for your Savior? If tonight you are not willing to die for your family, as far as crucifying the passions, the flesh, and the lusts, if you can't be mature enough to be faithful to your family, to your church, to your ministry, what makes you think that you would die for him? The process of waiting. It says, though it tarry. I'd like to read to you um, a quote from a preacher of the, the early 1900s. His name is Arthur John Gossip, and he was actually preaching on this exact passage. He was a professor of practical theology at Trinity College in Glasgow, Scotland. And this is a direct quote that he, uh, from his a sermon that he preached on this very passage. He says, yes, says God, this may prove a longer and much slower business than you estimate. I have had gallant servants who gave me their whole life, everything that they had, and yet they died in faith not having received the promises, but with their faces still turned doggedly in their direction and still certain they would come. And if you have been set down in a difficult day, can you too give me a like steadfastness? Listen tonight, you, have, you may have issues tonight, 
But can you give God steadfastness tonight? You may have something in your life that is discouraging you and draining you, and you want to quit. Is your Savior worth it tonight? Are you willing to serve him with steadfastness? Once again, dare you to work on unafraid without much encourage, but you still infecting those around you with your unconcerned and quiet faith, a faith that never dreams of doubting me, end of quote. Oftentimes, we make a resolve to wait on the Lord. But it's much longer than we anticipated, isn't it? Well, Lord, this is getting too hard. A lot of people, you, you don't know. You don't know what I've been going through. A lot of, if, many people, if they went through this, they would have quit a long time ago. You just don't understand. I don't have to put up with this. The Bible says, for consider him. <laughs> consider him, Jesus Christ, uh, who, who suffered such contradiction of sinners. Consider him. Jesus Christ is the standard tonight. Amen. He is the standard. Once again, I quote this preacher from old. It says, And so in our lives we all thought, said Baxter, speaking of the Civil War, that one battle would end it, but we are all very much mistaken. And so I suppose most of us expected that our spiritual life would move on in some ways much faster than it has. We knew that we had certain temptations, but we were going to knock them on the head. And so an end of that, yet perhaps some of them uh, is with us today with the old hateful cunning. We are aware that we are prone to this and that humbling sin and weakness, but Christ would break them from us, yet perhaps some of them still stubbornly persist. You're, tonight you may be dealing with something, a besetting sin, and you say, I just, I thought by now I'd have this thing kicked. The Bible says, listen. Wait. Wait on the Lord. Have you ever thought like this? You struggled with something and you cast your eyes to the future? And you thought, you know what? By then I will have this thing whooped. But still to this day, it is something that is humbling. There's still that, that sinful, that nature, that desire that was within you. And you are called to participate in the sufferings of Christ and to crucify that. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Every single day he died to himself. That must be a daily choice. All of us, we can testify to the fact, we, those, those of us who are saved, that we saw the glory of life as Christ led it. And our hearts ran out to meet him eagerly. But... Has your experience been like mine, that conforming to the image of Christ has proved to be more difficult with our matted character? It's proved to be more difficult to conform the sinfulness, my sinful flesh, to the image of Christ than I ever dreamed that it would be. What are we to do? It's been my uh, privilege uh, now for the last two years to work with uh, the young professionals, the college and career class. It's a group that I, uh, I sympathize with. I used to be there, right? All of us were at one time. And I know that a lot of singles, uh, many, they are plagued with this thought of, well, I thought by now I would be here. I thought by now that I would have this job. I thought by now that I would be married and so on. And there is this temptation to run ahead of the Lord, 
The Bible says to wait. You are to wait on the Lord. But you don't have to be a single person. There are many of you tonight who find yourself in a life situation that you never thought you'd be in. Um, certainly we don't have control of our lives, and, but we have dreams. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place that we never thought we'd be in. And what are we to do? The Bible says that you are to wait. What is God calling you to do this evening? God is calling you to wait on him. Wait on him. Thirdly, there's a promise of waiting. If you will wait on the Lord, it comes with a promise. Notice it says in verse 3, it says, It will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, please don't misunderstand me. And please don't misunderstand the word of God. This is not a name it and claim it sermon. This, this doesn't mean, you know, I, I have this dream and if I try hard enough, I, I will, I, I'll get there. It doesn't mean, guys, that if you're practicing golf that, you know, you're probably going to make it to the PGA. I'm sorry to break that to you, but that, that, that dream has probably sailed, all right? But it does mean that we can trust the Lord. Let me, let me just clarify a couple things. We could give countless stories of loved ones who have been prayed for year after year. I'm sure some of you have a family member that you've prayed for for many years, and you've, you've seen that person trust Christ as their Savior. We could, there are many folks in the building that could give testimony to the fact that there was a family member, a loved one, a friend, that they prayed for years. And to God's glory, that, that person came to know Christ eventually. Uh, we could testify uh, to ailments that we had. We could have uh, long-term conditions and chronic illnesses. And we, we prayed for those for many years of, of a friend or loved one or even ourselves. And finally, God gave victory in that area. Uh, we could testify to God's goodness about how he, was, how he has healed relational conflict and so on. But did you know, on the other hand, it would be disingenuous for me not to mention and to acknowledge that there are many people that are prayed for for years for years, and they are begged with, and they are pleaded with, and they die in their sins, and they go to hell. That happens. It happens all the time. Um, there are many families who suffer conflict from within, and sadly, that conflict, it, it never gets resolved. It's very sad. So how can we say that it will surely come? Listen, I don't know exactly how God is going to do it, but even if it's not made right in this life, somehow you can rest in this, that one day God is going to make all things right. And it will be perfect. Christ will come in judgment. He will judge the wicked. And it will be perfect, satisfying judgment. God will come and he will wipe away all tears from our eyes, the Bible says. And he will make all things right. How is he going to do that? I, I don't know exactly how he's going to do that, but I trust he's going to do that. I know that he will do that. Every wrong will be righted. Every sin will be met with a just punishment. Every, every innocent life that has been taken will go, is in heaven. We can rest in that. The Bible says that they are the innocent blood. They're innocent. 
We can rest in those things. God will wipe away all tears. There will be a day of comfort. Comfort. The Bible says in the book of Jude that the Lord, he cometh back with ten thousands of his saints. So what is the promise that is given? Well, listen, I just want to read a portion of scripture to you tonight. I promise we'll close in the next five, five minutes or so. But I just really want to encourage you tonight. Look, look with me in Habakkuk chapter 3. I want to read verses 3 through 16. Because Habakkuk, he asks these questions. And he waits on the Lord. And notice what he is, what he is given. Habakkuk, he, he sees one of the greatest manifest, manifestation of God's glory in all of the Bible. The only thing that would be likened to it would be Moses on Mount Sinai. But once we read this, you'll see that he sees one of the greatest manifestations of God's glory in all of the Word of God. Please read this with me slowly, meditatively. Look at every word. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. And His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of His hand. And there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth, he beheld, and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of going out west to maybe uh, Colorado or, or Wyoming, Montana, or to Yosemite, but those mountains, they are breathtaking. They are, they are awing. They are they're magnificent. The cliffs, it says that these magnificent, that reach to the clouds, they bow to our creator. I saw the tents of Kishan and affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Verse 8. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. Thou didst strike through with staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter. The rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Anytime you see someone getting a glimpse of God in the Bible, it's, it's unbearable. It is unbearable. Men fall down as dead when they see the awesome presence of Almighty God. 
And what you will notice about this, this revelation that he gives to Habakkuk is that God, he has to conceal himself. Man cannot look upon God. God has to cover himself with light, and even his covering is beauty and awesome. Could you even imagine what he himself looks like? The things that he covers his glory with are all striking and terrible and dreadful. In Habakkuk, he sees this. But do you know what is so marvelous? You and I, we've been talking about tonight. Why, God? Why? Lord, these things that transpire, why, Lord? God, why, why, did, you, why did you allow this? Lord, why did you allow me to get, get cancer? Lord, why did you allow this to happen into my family? Listen, the Bible says that if you have true, genuine faith, it is to be tested. And I tell you that with fear and trembling because God may judge me by my own words. I once heard a preacher say this. He said, do you love your wife? He said, would you love your wife if she lost all of her hair? Several years later, that man's wife got cancer. You see, listen, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but listen, the Bible says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth. And here's the, the marvelous thing. God concealed himself, but did you know that you and I, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus. That is the goal of it all. It is Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate goal of your life. No Bible college can do that for you. Did you know that? Praise God for Bible colleges. Praise God for higher learning and institutions, but there is not an institution on the world that can conform you to the image of Christ, not one. It is only through the school of trials and heart and sorrow that you will be conformed to the image of God's Son, conformity to Christ's likeness. That is the ultimate goal of your life. The ultimate goal of your life is to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. Listen, it's not soul winning. That is not the ultimate goal of your life. Soul winning, it is not coming to church, it is not being baptized, it is not any religious thing. It is being conformed to the image of God's Son. And if you will submit yourself to the, to the conforming and the image of God's Son, you will have no problem in any other area. If you will submit yourself to the molding of Jesus Christ, and you will bear up under trials and you say, I will wait on him. I will not run when God turns up the heat. But I will allow myself to be conformed to him. You'll have no trouble in any other area. You'll be the best soul winner that the world has ever seen. Because you will be like Jesus Christ. How is this done? It's by waiting. God calls his people to wait. Was it not Christ who waited? Jesus Christ, who, he, did he wait in the garden? He went a little further and prayed. Was it not, not Christ who waited on his God in the garden? Was it not Christ who waited in the cruel scourgings and mockings and the unfair trials? Did he not wait on God and commit himself to him that judgeth righteously? 
Was it not Christ who waited upon the cross? Was it not Christ who waited in the grave for three days and three nights and committed himself to him that judgeth righteously? He did right, he did right, he did right. He committed himself to God and to the will of the Father. Can you do right? Can you do right tonight? Despite your circumstance, despite the feelings and the the things that are in your life, can you stay steadfast for your Savior tonight? That's what he did for you. And it's what he called you to do. Christ has called you tonight to wait upon him. And here's the glorious thing. He waited on the Lord, and now he is forever exalted. Forever exalted. Listen to this verse in 1 Peter 5.10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. God, there's many callings tonight, isn't there? Christianity, it is a call to holiness. It's a call to obedience. It's a call to suffering. It's a call to many things. There's a big list. It's a call to wait. But listen, it's also a call to glory. There's glory in all of this. If you will submit yourself to Christ and die to self, there is glory. There is honor in that. I don't know where you are tonight. But Christ is calling you to take up your cross tonight. And I'm afraid that we've forgotten how to do that. The Bible says that you and I, we're to take up our cross and to die daily. But we want a life of ease. God, listen, God is not so concerned with your comfort as as you think that he is. You, You show me one prophet in the Old Testament that God was so concerned with their comfort. But we've made comfort a God. No wonder why the Bible says in Romans 10, 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is coming a day that you will not be ashamed. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. Where are you tonight? What are you dealing with? Do you find it hard to wait on the Lord? I sure do. But that's what Christ has called you to do. Wait upon the Lord. It will require humility of mind. It will require resolve. It will require going through the process. But listen, if you will submit yourself to that, you will be glorified with Christ. Soon we're going to enter in a time of uh, invitation. We invite you to come tonight. You can pray in your pew there. But I invite you tonight to have a mindset that Habakkuk did, that you will stand upon the watch and set yourself upon the tower and see what it is that God will say to you. Heavenly Father, we enter this time now, and God, we thank you for your precious word, Lord. God, what a change that your word makes. Lord, it is a light that we take heed unto in the in the darkness until the day dawn and day star rise in our hearts. Lord, we praise you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, tonight I pray for those who are going through something difficult. We look at our nation. It certainly is difficult. Things that make us angry, Lord. God, we also look at our own lives and we think about personal problems that probably each and every person tonight is dealing with. God, I pray that tonight no one will run ahead of you. But tonight, they will wait upon thee, and in so doing, be conformed to the image 
of our perfect Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The music is going to begin to play. If you have a need tonight, we invite you to come. The altars are open. If you're in the building tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, we